Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the Long Shot Podcast. I'm your host, Duncan Robinson, here with my good friend, Davis Patrick Reed. We're back in person. Davis, how are we feeling? We are back in person, so I'm great. I'm feeling good. It's good to see you. We're here in Brooklyn, New York, uh, home of the Nets, who you guys face tomorrow. I'm excited yeah, to be here. We're actually not in, in Brooklyn. Uh, Davis is somewhat locationally challenged. Uh, just because we're playing Brooklyn tomorrow does not mean that we are right now in Brooklyn. I'm not going to disclose uh, the information as to where we are exactly. I feel like that's uh, maybe a, a safety issue of some sorts. Uh, anyways, it's great to have you here. I appreciate you making the effort to join myself uh, and, and make the effort to fly out here. It's probably good that you keep our location discreet. I remember this past summer we were in Los Angeles and you said, we're somewhere in California. I'll keep it discreet. And then I followed immediately up with, yeah, it's great to be here in Los Angeles, <laughs> which is still a broad area. But yeah, we'll just say we're in the vicinity of Brooklyn. The tri-state area. How about sure. that? Yeah, yeah, that works. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, anyways, we got a great show for you. Uh, Zach Lowe is is fantastic. Uh, very, very current, up to date with his basketball takes and knowledge. Uh, I've been a fan of his for a while, so it was nice to get him on the pod finally. Uh, so we're not going to, you know, just kind of banter here for too long. Yeah, but right. we do have some things we want to talk about. Yeah, we have some uh, some weekly takeaways I think is how we're going to frame this. I, we'll think of a name. Uh, yeah, I feel like we could do better than that, to be honest. I've with been you. toying with five and five, like five takeaways in five minutes, 55. You see what I'm doing there? There's like a little. I know, but why would you put the ceiling of keeping it within five minutes? It's like, yeah. you're just really limiting our potential by doing so. You're right. And five minutes is pretty short. Whatever. We're going to, I got some weekly takeaways. So here, I'm going to lead. Okay. With my first takeaway of the week. All right. And that is that I've already decided I want a Knicks and Heat first round matchup in the playoffs. I watched one game in Madison Square Garden, and it immediately became apparent to me that that environment is just too electric for us to not have a Heat matchup. It takes me, last year we had Trey getting heckled by the fans. I think maybe you can step into that role this year. We've got the, I don't know if you saw the Knicks fans on the sidewalk video that was going around yeah, post game. Yeah. There's just, there's so much energy and I would love, no disrespect to Knicks fans, but I would love for you guys to just squash it, you know, just crush them. I'm uh, I'm comfortable playing the villain in, yeah. in some I think it'd be good for you. I don't know. I think it's more likely that like a guy like Jimmy would be coined the villain, even that's though I've, too obvious. I've been heard I have a very punchable face. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's something that's been told uh, to me often. Do you and, think that's true? 
Uh, I don't know. I feel like we've actually talked about this before, but I think the fact I don't I don't know what makes a face punchable. Is it just based off of the fact that it's it's big? Because I do have a big head. That's something I've admitted yeah, to publicly. Yeah, I'd say big head. Uh, so it's it took hard some to vulnerability to do so, but I have publicly admitted that I have a, a bigger head. It's actually that I have a, a longer head. Yeah, Not that we need to get into the, the details of it, but so it, it's like visually and optically, it just looks bigger than it actually is. But I, I do. Um, so maybe that's what makes it punchable. Actually, because it's there's more surface area. Yeah. Now that you say this, I'm looking at you. You kind of you know those arcade games that come down and you punch it and you get a high score your head kind of looks like that it kind of makes sense <laughs> I don't, i'm not really sure what i'm supposed to do with that um but anyways i i mean i would love to, to play a first round uh second round coverage finals whatever it is uh in, in madison square garden uh watching the the opening night game uh nick celtics that place was electric yeah it's just obi toppin caught an alley-oop the other night this was like a Sunday night against the Magic and the place. Look it sounded you just it, tuned in to dialed. Yeah. League Pass, baby. Dialed. Love it, love I it. bought League Pass this year. I stepped up and made the adult Good decision. For you. I know. Good for you. It was time. That's an investment. Yeah. I'm proud it's, of you. It's time for me to stop bootlegging games. Um, just kidding. I don't do that. Um, anyway, I hate that I used anyways. That's your transition. I'm trying to stay away from us saying anyways. Obi Toppin catches a one-hand alley-oop on a Sunday night. It sounds like it's game seven of the NBA Finals in there. There's just so much energy. It's I, I need you in that environment. Yeah, I mean, the Knicks uh, are obviously trending. They're they're a team everyone likes talking about. So is that is that your one takeaway? By the way, this is an example of, we talked about that for probably three minutes. There's no way that we could get all five things into the five Maybe that's part of the running joke is that it's never actually five minutes. Got it. All right, I'm actually going to go number two. Fine, take it. Uh, Michigan football is... Oh, God. <laughs> legit and i was on the bandwagon early uh i said after week one my classic overreaction this is our year i've said it every single year since i've been a michigan fan uh and now here we are seven and oh got a chance to uh to go to east lansing make it eight and zero yeah. against our bitter crosstown rival uh and really do something special in the college football world i'm ready to admit that you guys are are legit. Six. I don't know why you're saying you guys. You now live in Ann Arbor. That's true. We you're very much. We. Yeah, you're, you're a right. part of of the right. special thing that we have brewing. You're right. I've been to two games this year. I participated in some tailgates. Wow. Uh, what is a what does a Davis Reed tailgate look like? Let me tell you. It is uh, eggs, toast, and a coffee, and uh, it's a light socializing. Very light socializing. Not a lot of alcohol being consumed. If I'm just being completely honest, I'm kind of past that point. But let me say this. You're above consuming alcohol. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. It's just on a Saturday morning, uh, games kick off at noon. Yeah, so it's early. asking a lot of that's me early. to yeah, kick off at 9 a.m. with a white claw. I'm just, eh, I got to be in the right frame yeah. of mind. But that leads me to next weekend, or sorry, this weekend, Michigan State, Michigan, I think six versus eight in the country, both undefeated. I know that Michigan, Ohio State is like the rivalry, yeah. right? But if Michigan, Michigan State isn't right behind, then, you know, I'm call me crazy my point is i've been invited to an east lansing Whoa. tailgate that's how you know you are mm -hmm. our true maize and blue to the core so that one might call for a little bit more uh of a raucous tailgate i just love because that. that's a big yeah, you're in enemy territory yeah. as well uh so i had the second takeaway i'm actually going to steal the third as well it's kind of so selfish. my football team's really good michigan your football team the kansas city chiefs uh Sucks. They're bad. Yeah, we're which bad. It, uh, honestly caught me by surprise. Uh, 
down 27 nothing at halftime yeah. yeah yeah no we're bad you're right we're bad i don't know if it's a back-to-back super bowl hangover i don't know what's going on but something's not right three and four um defense is really bad patrick mahomes is making some bad mistakes we'll be okay though it's still early enough that we can right the ship you know i like the optimism i don't feel that optimistic to be honest i miss is maybe a, a facade but i think 10 and 7 9 and 8 yeah, he's got to get a chance he's yeah just playoffs. get us into the playoffs and we can beat anybody um all right let's let's get to basketball what else we got yeah i'll take the fourth takeaway i'm gonna go um nba 75 list mm, we that was a trending topic yeah, of the yeah. Week. It really I, was. I know we're a little late but i still want to talk we haven't talked about it at all it's people are fascinated with lists right? and comparing between eras is so hard and complicated yeah you've obviously got the classic like who's the goat mj or lebron it's just hard to compare between eras and i think that that's why this 75 list is so difficult to do because obviously you have to show respect to the pioneers who like made jumps in their respective era but if you're just doing the best 75 players ever it would all be in the last like 30 years so it just gets hard to do for the most part yeah i mean i thought i thought it was a a cool idea by the league first and foremost to do a a 75th uh anniversary kind of homage to the 75 best players i also thought it was i mean that's a, a almost a bold Thing to stand on for some of those takes and one thing that i was kind of fascinated by is that they chose to do current players which i actually respect yeah. because i think it would have been a cop-out if they had just said we're not going to do any current players but with that being said it's really tricky to evaluate guys that are currently playing yeah with the exclusion of like lebron, LeBron katie steph, steph they're yeah. like a couple who are obviously in that list yeah but it, it's it, it is hard to really differentiate especially if the guy's like still in the midst of his career um you know Kyrie Irving is right under 30 years old and and then on top of that I guess there was some controversy around he was included maybe I don't I actually I'm not even really going to comment on that but um <laughs> anyways my point being like there were some guys that very well I mean Dwight Howard was yep. the best player in the NBA yeah uh for for a stretch yep. uh, certainly defensively but maybe even like just all around uh, impact. So, I mean, that was one that I think surprised a lot of people. Uh, Clay, obviously, uh, yep. him, him voicing his displeasure, uh, which I actually appreciate. And then also the Warriors, of course, Andre, I imagine, was behind that in some yeah. capacity, uh, dropping the uh, the 77 on uh, as a jersey uh, in his locker, which was great. I know that you won't do this, so I'm going to do it. Uh, instead, I'm, I'm, I have three snubs and I'll even go as far as to name who I think they should have replaced on wow, the list. Wow, that's a bold take. And this is, with all due respect, with all due respect, I've got Clay over Reggie. I've got Dwight over AD, which you can't tell me that that's not what the bench scuffle was about. And I've got Kyrie <laughs> over Dame Lillard. Those are my three replacements. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna leave it at wow. I, that's, uh, I appreciate you taking the stance that yeah. you are. Yep. Whether I agree on it or with it is uh, something I'm not really willing to to voice just yet but uh i do appreciate you taking the stance. I mean, look, like you said, Dwight Howard was the most dominant player in the NBA for a stretch. Eight time All NBA, 
maybe something like that. Eight time all star. Just pulling this out of thin air. I did some research, but uh, it's is off the top of my head now. You're a truly a basketball historian. I think you have to value championships with Clay Thompson. He's also sure. undoubtedly one of the best shooters of all time. Sure. And then Kyrie, again, got to value a championship, and he's got accolades that stack right up with Damian Lillard plus a championship. I think that boosts him over the top. I'm, I mean, yeah, like I said, I'm 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 Switzerland on this one. I'm All right, you took back to back takeaways, <laughs> so I'm going to take back to back takeaways. The fifth and final weekly takeaway of the five and five that we, I think we've done in closer to ten is you are pretty bouncy. You had a fast break, one hand throwdown, nobody around, but still, yeah, nobody, yeah. we're fully aware that you can dunk. Last year, you had the uh, back door kind of reverse. Yeah, that looked, not kind of. That was a reverse dunk. It looked incredibly easy. I wish you put would have put a little bit more sauce on this one against the Magic. Uh, nobody around you. You were up high enough to do something. I thought maybe a reverse, maybe oh, like a- That's asking a lot. Maybe like a- 360 maybe like an east bay i don't know i just wish you would have brought something i think the out. most you're gonna get is maybe just a little extra something on on, on the slingshot uh is this just early season legs what's going on because you got up there um <laughs> no i don't think it's that i mean i think it, it, it is partially that I mean, people were legitimately like very surprised. Uh, a couple guys on our my team were like, I, "I, I actually didn't know you could dunk," which is a little disrespectful. But it, I think it comes from a good place. Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, I actually surprised myself with that one a little bit. I actually had a little more room to work with. Uh, for those of you who who can dunk a basketball, uh, not trying to belittle anybody who cannot. <laughs> yeah, direct this at me, because yeah. yeah, you cannot. Uh, but you get like little marks on your wrists, right? When you're dunking a lot. And that one, I was up a little bit higher than I thought. So I actually, I had a, I had a mark like pretty far down my wrist. Uh, so it showed, it showed I had some room to work with, but, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it was just, it was a breakaway. So let's not, uh, let's pump our tires here. Like, uh, that was <laughs> one of those breaks here. I no, no, say. no. That was one of those where had there been someone in the area, I think you were up high enough to at least have a good attempt. I'll take that. I'll allow that. I'm still waiting for that. You just get so much respect on closeouts. I'm still waiting for the pump to dribble baseline rise up on somebody. I'm not ruling it out. We'll see. I'm Only just, time will tell. I'm just saying long shots. That's the name, by the way, I've officially decided. The long shots. The long shots. Long shots. Just mark this, timestamp this. At some point this year, we're getting a baseline Duncan Robinson throwdown with someone in the vicinity. Baseline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in the corner, pump fake, two dribble. I like it. Wapow. I'll see if I can uh, make that. I like the sound effects as well. <laughs> um, all right, I think we have a new segment. Is that right? We do. Well, I mean, it's. I think people are aware We've of the segment. We've teased the segment, but we're officially yeah. now doing it. We have uh, teased the idea of giving advice. And I say advice with a massive asterisk because we're not... Uh, we're not we're not liable yeah. take yeah. everything with a grain of salt uh, we are not therapists we yeah. are not experts on really anything yeah anything uh, at all so it's really just our thoughts and that takes me to the name of this segment the long thoughts love that so we had an uh, some amazing that questions. was gifted to us right the long yes thoughts. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that was gifted to us I'm going to find out who gifted that to us and I'm going to shout you out. I don't know your it's name. It's pretty disappointing that you wouldn't have done <gasps> your, your research prior, but long thoughts. The long thoughts. We had some amazing questions submitted. We plan to continue doing this, so we will try to get to as many as we can. But this first question comes from Alan. And Alan writes, Duncan and Davis, honestly, I'm going through a breakup right now and it's pretty tough. 
wanted to hear what kind of advice you might have on getting over someone, things that helped for you coming from stand-up guys like yourself. So Alan, thank you for calling a stand-up, first of all. Yeah, that's very kind of you. Actually, I really like this question to start it off. It's kind of like a fastball down the middle. Yeah. Uh, You know, just a a great foundation of what the long thought segment could really become. Uh, So thank you, Alan, for for being vulnerable, first off, in this moment, uh, and also, you know, sharing with this community. We celebrate vulnerability. True. With that being said, Alan, I don't have a ton of experience getting over breakups. I think we've talked about enough on this podcast. I am married to the woman that I've been dating since I was 13 years old. So I'm going to pass this one to Duncan, but I'm sending my love your way. And I know that you're going to get through this. Well, actually, I don't know if you should completely opt out of this because in our friend group, Davis has always been the person that we all turn to for love advice <laughs> and, and and actually it makes zero sense because True. he has been with the same woman basically his entire life so he's never been through a breakup he's never known what it's like to you know go through that sort of struggle right. but for whatever reason and honestly i think a lot of it is because he is known for giving really good advice. So I I think it's actually pretty selfish of you to opt out (laughs) uh, in this instance because the same way Alan's now turning to us yeah. so many times before I've I've turned to you. So I'm actually, I'll lead it off and then I'd like you to to kind of put a bow on it. That's fair. Alan, my... My initial reaction is, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Um, it's, look, this stuff is is never easy. I've been through uh, my fair share of breakups. Never easy, uh, ever. I'll start by saying so many of the cliches that people like to use exist because there is truth within them. Mm. So I will say it's unrealistic to like just forget about a person, right? Or at least for me, you know, I'm yeah, a, I'm no, I, a, uh, I like to consider myself a, a thoughtful being so that as a result, I, I tend to overthink uh, in many cases as well. And, and that's, you know, sports, life, love life, all things. Um, for me, what has helped me in the past is really zeroing in on kind of what's next for me personally. Now. I'm not naive to the fact that I've been lucky to have something in my life in basketball where I'm able to channel all my energy towards that. So what I would say is it's the classic like focus on working on yourself, but I'm I'm kind of saying it in a little bit of a different way in terms of, look, you've probably dedicated a lot of energy, time, resources towards this relationship. Now, this is an incredible opportunity to reposition those that time resources, all those things towards bettering yourself and your own self-improvement. Alan, forget about this person, man. Forget about them. Okay. They don't deserve you. You're a king, Alan. You're a king. You hear me? That's what I got for you. That was good. That was motivational. Yeah. That was a nice, uh, that was a nice, uh, ethos and pathos kind of combination. You know, I I really kind of had the, the pathos of it, which is, you know, based in logic, uh, for you Greek, (laughs) you (laughs) Greek historians out there. I think it's Greek and you really captured the ethos, uh, the, the compassion of like, you just got to move on. What's the, so that was a nice little yin yin yang. I actually thought that was great. Yeah. No, Alan, you're a king. Okay. You hear me? 
keep pushing <laughs> keep pushing are you getting emotional yeah <laughs> oh dear i love uh, love man this took, this took quite the turn uh all right that's the long thought segment i don't know how that went i no. mean i think it i i, I don't think we kind of enjoyed it i think it, it it uh it like ignited a a different you know part of my brain which i actually appreciate it yeah you know so often when we do this stuff it's uh as much as I love talking about basketball as I really do, but like, you know, we, but it's so many times it's like the random stuff. Yeah. Uh, and this kind of just forces a, a, a random incident. Here, let me, Anyways. let me actually, Alan, here's what I, here's what I'll add to yeah. Duncan on a serious note. I mean, you are a King. That's, that was serious. Uh, but I actually have gone through a breakup with my current wife. We broke up and we got back together. So it is possible, right? If this person is the person for you, it's possible that it still works out. But with that being said, I think all of Duncan's advice still holds true. It's an opportunity for you to focus on yourself, to get your priorities in line. And then when you figure out what that is, if that person comes back in the picture and it makes sense for her to be or, or him to be there, then great. If not, then you've got yourself to focus on, which I think is equally as healthy and important. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say, I'll say one more thing. Yeah, let's, uh, let's keep it rolling. Perspective is like so important. I realize, I realize that in so many things and like gaining a new perspective can be such a unique advantage and kind of opportunity. And obviously you've had this perspective of being with this person. You now have an opportunity to gain perspective from being single and that will very likely be difficult early on. Uh, but in time, you will learn to appreciate that perspective because I think it'll tell you more about that person than in many cases actually being with them. For example, in Davis's case, like he quickly realized that not being with this person was something that he did not want very to true. go through. Um, so perspective is uh, is key. Anyways. You're king, Alan. This is a weird transition to a Zach Lowe interview, uh, <laughs> which is entirely about basketball. But uh, <gasps> that's kind of also your yin and yang. You know, yes. you got some, you got some uh, miscellaneous info and, and uh, random banter mixed in with a Zach Lowe interview, which obviously hovers uh, mainly around basketball. Yeah, if you don't think you're getting a 360 view of life on this podcast, yeah. you've got another thing coming, pal. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Jimmy V's. If mm. you can laugh, cry, and think yeah. in every day, yeah. then that's a whale of a day. I I think I've done all three in the last 20 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> and, and you know what? You can guarantee when you tune into this podcast, we're going to do our best to make you yeah. laugh, cry, and think every episode. Yeah. That's a full day, Dave. I mean, I'm emotionally drained. I don't know about you. <laughs> we have a long shot feature. Oh, we do have Let's a get long, a long shot, shot feature. feature. Sorry. A great long uh, shot feature. This is great. So Roman Cannon mm -hmm. uh, was a Olympic fencer. Yes. And French. French Olympic uh, fencer. He was a reserve. He was not supposed to compete in the Olympics. Oh, he, was, he was there for moral support. Right. Just clapping on the sidelines. Yes. Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden... Was it a week before the event? I, I, a week or two. Yeah, a couple weeks before the event, the person in front of him, the competitor, the athlete on his team in front of him, mm -hmm. tests positive for some form of performance enhancing <laughs> Beaver drug. Beaver tranquilizer. <laughs> okay. Some form of performance enhancing drug. It uh, is just DQ'd from competition. Yeah, so very clean. out of nowhere, our guy Roman 
is thrust into competition and boy does he shine center stage uh goes on to win gold gold for his country of france i believe he defeated uh the ninth seventh third second and then first ranked fencer in the world i mean that's it to capture that's gold running through all of them yeah. right that's like we don't want the easy path no no we're gonna go through one two three i love it uh so shout out to roman uh incredible stuff and uh yeah yeah 24 years old first ever olympics not even supposed to be competing that's a long shot. walks away with a gold medal that's a long shot for sure uh all right well that's the front of show and here's zach When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back into the Long Shot Podcast. We are joined by a good friend of mine and a very special guest, Ooh. Zach Lowe. Thank you for joining us. What's up, Duncan? How you doing? I'm doing well. That's right. I, I threw out good friends. Uh, we've come a long way since our first encounter in, in the, the Barclays Center, um, which I look back on it and I think quite fondly of now uh, that we're a couple years removed from it. One of us has come a little bit further than the other, but thank you for including me as part of the people who came a long way. One of us came very, very far, and the next time I see you, dinner is definitely on that person and not me. Uh, <laughs> I will for sure pick up the tab on dinner. I don't know if that's entirely fair to say, though. I mean, you are now hosting a show on ESPN, NBA Today, which we're now a week into. Uh, that's pretty big time stuff. How is that going so far? Well, Malika is hosting. I just, they just. A part bring, of. You are a part of. Yeah, Malika is the driver. I just like hang out in the back seat and make noise every once in a while when they ask me to make noise. But it, it's going, it's going great. It's way different than the jump. Um, and I, and it, it's taking some getting used to. Like there are a lot of bells and whistles. There's Malika's like moving around the studio, doing laps, and a bunch of cameras are moving around and screens. But it's been, it's been fun so far. And I love going to Los Angeles. It's, it's uh, the capital of the NBA all year round, and there's just a million people there to see, and I love going out there. We had uh, we had Malik on last week, and she gave us a little preview of what it was going to be, and I think a lot of people obviously tuned in this week as well. But for yourself personally, you talk about about you know myself coming a long way. You've also come an incredibly long way. For prep for this interview, I was doing a little uh, background research. Wikipedia, and, uh, be honest. Wikipedia, you just hit Wikipedia. Uh, you know, a, a little bit of everything. By the uh, way, Wikipedia, Wikipedia lists my middle name as Ulysses, and my first name is Zachariah. Both of which are incorrect. Those are like the, those are like like <laughs> right off the bat incorrect. Where does where does that come from, Ulysses? I, I, is that I just grabbed out of thin air? I assume some jokester was like, I'll just make this sounds funny. I'll just make this up. And I, I, that's fine. They can keep it there. Um, but anyway, so in, in 2004 to, you know, 2006, 2007, 2008, whatever it was, you were covering crime and government for the Stanford advocate, I believe. Is that correct? Correct. 
Um, you are now a substantially far cry away from that. Do you ever like think back to those types of moments and be like, how the hell did I get here? I think back to those types of moments all the time because I love that job. And it was an incredible first job to have in journalism because it puts you in all sorts of uncomfortable situations that you would never otherwise be in and just forces you to navigate them. It forces you to ask uncomfortable questions to people who do not want to answer your questions. It forces you so far outside of your comfort zone that you very quickly get used to not even having a comfort zone, to just being comfortable in any situation that requires you to be there. Um, I had, I had, I don't want to say fun because that beat is not fun. It's actually quite depressing when you start thinking about the larger issues involved, which I wrote a lot about. Um, but I had fun testing myself. I had fun meeting types of people that were not normally in my sort of circle of life and getting to know them. And, and it was really interesting and also really depressing. So I think back on it, not that I've come a long way from that. I think back on it sometimes honestly with some regret like i i now cover a sport where you guys are just you know we're talking about basketball like we're trying to throw a ball through a hoop and i take it really seriously and then sometimes like well i actually used to cover actual serious things with real consequences should i should i try to should i focus on those kind of things again i don't know i uh it's interesting you bring that up we had uh, Hasan Minaj on our show a few weeks back and he was talking about how sports are great because there's something that that matters so much but also when you are able to like kind of step back don't matter at all and that's something that I've kind of like wrestled with as a, as a player where of course performing at a high level matters so much to, to myself personally my teammates the fan base uh, and also my family the, the fact that I'm able to provide how do you are you able to like step away from, from your work in that sense like are because what you do you, you cover it that's your that's your livelihood. You you have to be entrenched in everything, all the media, all the rumors, everything that circulates, the news cycle, all that sort of stuff. For myself, like I'm able to kind of try at least to compartmentalize. Like, okay, I need to focus on what's important, which is on the court. How do you kind of like turn that off and, and then turn around and be a a dad, a husband, uh, you know, and 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 just kind of like live life. Well. I'm lucky now that I don't have to be as tied to the news cycle as I used to be. Like, it's not my job to um, to break news. It's it's we have other people who are amazing at that. I help out sometimes, but it's not the focus on my job. And that's a brutal that is a brutally competitive, tough job. And so, you know, like Norm Powell hurt his knee last night six or seven years ago. And it, I think the Woj reported it's not serious, but six or seven years ago, I would have been like, I got to drop everything and like write a blog about Norm Powell's knee. Now I can just like, I'll just wait to see what happens And my wife. When, whenever there is like, sometimes I'll be like, oh, it's my, it's my night's cook dinner. And I'll be like, Oh honey, I'm sorry. There's really, there's, there's breaking news. I got to go. My wife will say, just, just so you know, you're not an ER doctor. Like the world can wait a few hours for your take on the Minnesota Timberwolves general manager being fired. Like you can cook dinner, you can grill the salmon. It's not, it's not that big of a deal. And she'll, she will put me in check real fast. Obviously we talk about your reporting and crime and government, and those are far more important issues, but the NBA has now sort of transitioned into there are real implications. There's a lot of drama. Like this first week in the NBA has been insane with everything that's going on. You've got the Philly situation, the Brooklyn situation. Now you've got potential Phoenix, Robert Sarver situation. So there are still serious implications and serious things that you're covering, Zach. And I've heard you talk about how 
there's this balance you have to consider when covering these stories about implications of what you say. Um, you know, when you're talking to someone, are you getting an unbiased story or are you being used as a vessel? So there's still a lot that you're considering that does have big implications. Do you feel a pressure to make sure that you're navigating things in a careful way? Or is your first priority, I just need to get the truth out there and report, you know, what I know to be factual? No, I try to navigate it carefully. You know, again, I don't have to be first, right? Like that's not my job. My job is not to be the first one with whatever news. So I, I have to navigate it carefully. And you're right. Like a lot there, there is no such thing as stick to sports. Like that's, that's a fallacy. It's always been a fallacy, even covering collective bargaining issues. Like those are, those are labor issues. Those are management versus labor. Now it's, it's really highly paid labor, but it's still like it, it the same issues trickle down to other industries where the salaries aren't the same. Kyrie Irving, it's like Kyrie Irving is a basketball issue only because his team might be the best team in the NBA if he plays and his decision whether or not to get vaccinated could tilt the tilt who wins the NBA championship this year, at least to some degree. So like it's a basketball issue that we have to talk about in a way that we would not have to talk about it if he played for the Detroit Pistons because it just wouldn't matter as much. But it's also obviously connected to like massively important public health issues, you know, um, ethical issues. And, and it's, it's like, when you talk about it, I, I don't, it's, it's actually hard to sort of separate. It's hard to talk about both of those things at the same time. You just sort of want to say, sometimes I default to like, look, people, I know I'm vaccinated. I got vaccinated right away. I know all the issues. My stance on this is pretty clear. I know there are big issues acknowledge that let's talk about the nets and it's like it's not very artful to be honest but it's i don't I, we're all learning how to do it i i first started uh you know reading and, and following your stuff when you were working at grantland i remember i used to be like obsessed with with bill and, and grantland i'd read all typical the, new englander just just yeah, you know right, exactly. just gravitating to simmons <laughs> um but he i i I felt like you always stuck out because you had this very unique brand of writing. And for a high school kid at the time, maybe it was early college, I can't remember exactly what it was. Uh, it was particularly entertaining because you had this creative way of incorporating videos and, and GIFs or GIFs. I don't even know exactly how they're pronounced. Um, but, but for the- It's definitely GIFs. It definitely GIFs. Is it? Anyways, um, how did you how did you kind of like find your lane, like your voice in kind of doing that? Was that something that you kind of always envisioned or something that kind of came about creatively? Totally by accident uh, in terms of like X's and O's and video clips. I just like I when I started writing about the NBA, I was freelancing. I had another journalism job that was not about basketball at all. And at night I would watch games and blog about the NBA for anyone who would pay me to do it. And so I had no, I had no permanent news outlet that I was working for. I couldn't go to games. I had no credential. I didn't know anybody. I had no connections. I couldn't call anybody. The only thing I could do was watch the games and try to tell people what was happening in the game. And there was a shortage of people who were actually like trying to explain why did team A beat team B? Now, it was easy to be like, well, team A beat team B because their star had 35 points and this guy had 17 assists. But like, OK, why did that guy have 35 points? What was the defense trying to do to stop him from getting 35 points? Why didn't it work? How did the offense counter that strategy? There was just not a lot of people doing that. And it turned out there was an appetite for it. And because 
I had a lot of writing experience before I, I wrote hopefully in a way that wasn't like overly technical or jargony that like regular people could understand what I was saying. Yeah. So in the, the traditional like power dynamic, I, I imagine is that, or at least what I see from the player's perspective is that reporters, journalists, beat writers are going to coaches, front office executives, whatever it may be for information. I'm curious because you're so well-respected and you've kind of developed this reputation for being able to break down the game. Has that power dynamic ever shifted the opposite way of people coming to you in a front office, a coaching staff and being like, hey, look, I, I love what you talk about in this article, so on and so forth about this player or this scheme and kind of like picking your brain further outside of maybe just like a casual conversation, but really more so from like a game planning perspective or like a prospect evaluation perspective. Prospect evaluation, no, because they know I don't watch enough college basketball to have any evaluation. But yeah, for sure, I get asked for my opinion on players. Uh, what do you think about theoretically? Like, is this a fair trade? And sometimes it's not even involving the, the guy's team. It's like, you know, would I've had a lot of people like pitch me Ben Simmons trades who are not involved in the trade. Like, do you think Toronto would do this? Do you think Indiana would do that? Do you think Philly would do that? But for sure, I've had coaches call me in the middle of a playoff series and be like, hey, that thing you wrote, that was interesting. Do you actually think we should try that? Because it's something we talked about in the coaches meeting. And I'm like, I'm not giving you any advice. I stay the hell out of it. I'm like, the last thing I want to do is I'm just writing my stuff. Um, but yeah, people reach out for like, you know, what do you think about this player? What do you think about that player? And I just, it's a good, it's a good segue into a, a broader conversation with that person do you ever have uh thoughts about working for a franchise or in a front office because there are i mean those are directly relatable skills that would be utilized i i find the notion sort of comical like how underqualified i would be <laughs> i ha i have had a couple of opportunities in the past that i turned down and i i don't think it's in the cards for me i, I wouldn't rule it out but i don't i for like 10 different reasons, some of which are family related, travel related. Um, I just, I, I don't, I don't see it ever happening, but it, it sounds like I do miss when I'm at the finals and the winning team clinches the finals. And I see people that I've known in the business for 10 years, five years, talk to a lot, just sh shoot the shit with it, games, whatever. And I know how hard they work because I know what their schedules are like. I know that they're going from Tucson to, you know, wherever to scout games. And then they fly to Arkansas and then they do a Texas tour and they're on the road 25 days a month. And I know that like they pour their heart and soul in it and I see them win and I see the joy that they experience. And I see the, the collective nature of it because it's a team. It's a broader like it's not just the players on the team. It's the front office as a team. The coaching staff is a team. And I, and I am envious of it because um, there is competition to some degree in journalism, particularly for breaking news people, but it's, we're not winning or losing. We don't have stakes in the games. And I do, I, I, I do get envious of what it must feel like to reach the mountaintop in, in their profession, even though they're not playing on the floor. I just, the, 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 the spirit of competition that we don't get, I get jealous of it. But then you think like, I'll, if I ever worked for a team, we'd probably never win, uh, partly because I'm working for the team, but just you, only one team wins. Like really good people go their entire NBA careers without ever winning. And it's just heartbreak at the end of every season. Yeah, it uh, that reminds me, I guess it was my second year. 
uh, maybe third year. Now I'm all messed up. No, second year when we made it to the finals. And uh, the sentiment throughout basically our entire playoff run when we you know won the Eastern Conference Finals and we're in the finals was like, this isn't normal. And, and so many guys, like I remember Solomon Hill telling me like, we got to the to the Eastern Conference Finals my second year, he was saying, and this is my first time back. And, and guys would always tell me like, you know, we got to the finals or this or that, and, and the rest of their career, they don't go back. So it is it is crazy just how few and far between actually experiencing that that success can really be. Um, I want to talk a little bit about week one in the NBA. I want some just kind of like way too early overreactions. Of, of what you've kind of taken away from week one, because obviously I know you've been dialed in. This could be player or team related. Anything open-ended? You're just going to open leave the whole NBA standing? Oh, yes, God. Yes. This is dangerous. The Lakers have even more to figure out than I thought. That's one. You want to dive into that, or you just want to let, actually, me, let I, me keep going? I do I do want to dive into that. So the Lakers are, are so interesting because of the, the spotlight that's – been placed on them like they they can't have a, a game like they did in game one where where Russ plays the way he does and then everyone goes crazy I'm curious w- when you say they have more to figure out is it obviously you see the the on bench interactions as well what oh yeah exactly- I forgot that happened when I was on the plane and the wi-fi I saw the wi-fi was good enough for me to see people tweeting about it but not to see the video it was incredibly frustrating I was like <laughs> did they punch each other what's going on it was harmless. It looked, didn't look that bad. It, it honestly, as a as a player, it seemed like pretty standard, uh, you know, in game confrontation. But what what exactly are you alluding to when you say more to figure out? Well, first we do have to like acknowledge Ariza's hurt. Your old teammate Kendrick Nunn is hurt. Tht is hurt. Ellington's hurt. So those are like four. Think of them what you will, but there are four guys who are at the very least going to be candidates to be in the rotation at like critical spots for the Lakers, like the, the filling out those AD at center lineups. The spacing is just terrible. Like this is what we all wrote about when they got Russ. Like no one's going to guard him when he doesn't have the ball. You want the ball in LeBron's hands all the time because it's LeBron freaking James. They're not taking the ball out of his hands. If you're going to play a center alongside AD, it's going to be even worse. And so you have to find a way to make Russ useful when he doesn't have the ball and we've been talking for a decade and a half about imagine if Russ sets screens imagine if Russ cut imagine if and he just never does it and so it's just the late I said this on my podcast last week they're not making the finals if Russell Westbrook is just standing around not being guarded for 70 percent of his minutes on offense they're just not going to make the finals it's it's not going to happen and so they need to figure that out which is why you already have the overreaction of should they bring Russ off the bench? Like you, I think the TNT guys were talking about that on opening night. It's like one game for people to be like, Russ has to come off the bench. And I would, I would pay. I don't even know how much I would pay to be in the meeting when Frank Vogel and Rob Palenka in theory are like, Hey Russ, we got to have a conversation. MVP, triple double King. We need you to be like our sixth man. I would love, I would just, I would love to be in that room. Cause that, I, I, I don't know if that meeting goes well. These are the type of conversations you can be a part of if you took a, right, a front office right. position. That's not a bad. I, I would. I would be a. I would be a part of the pre-conversation. I would be a part of the conversation about maybe having the conversation, but I wouldn't be in the room for the actual conversation. But look, they have LeBron and AD. Like they're gonna 
they're going to figure out a lot of stuff and be a good team, but their road to being a great team is going to be a little trickier than even I thought. So you think their their issues start and stop with Russell Westbrook? I don't. I, I wouldn't say that. Like their depth is like they need to get their wing depth in order. Like they need to figure out who among all those guys I listed, plus Monk, plus you know uh, other guys that are starting, um, is a two way player. Like who can shoot and defend well enough to be on the floor when it matters. So it's not just Russ, but Russ is such a big. Russ is not a role player. That's not what he is. He's such a big part of their offense. He's going to be such a big part of the offense that the biggest variable of the season is whether they figure that piece out. That's that they're going to be a good team no matter what. If they're going to win the championship, that's the question that's going to turn it to me. Yeah, that's uh, I, I like that take. I mean, it's a it's a reasonable place to start. Obviously, a lot of the uh, media attention has been on L.A. Any uh, anything else? I'm just putting you on the spot here. I'm I'm just gonna go rapid fire. You can you it. can you can t- t- listen and whatever you want to get get involved with. You you tell me. Pelicans DefCon One is approaching. Oklahoma <laughs> City Oklahoma City has the potential to flirt with nine and seventy three. That's how bad they are. They're completely unwatchable. Unwatchable. I don't want to. I don't want to watch them anymore. You already already have said enough. You want to interject? Well, I was just gonna say I, I was interested in that Houston OKC game. I think that was last night, uh, just to see kind of who would come out on top in, between those two. And yeah, I mean, I, I listen. You you watch more basketball probably than I do across the league, so I, I I'll just kind of let you keep going here. Well, I you know it's funny. I saw that game on the schedule when I was trying to plan which games I would watch that night, and it was sort of like, whew, I could eat my vegetables and get a Rockets and Thunder game out of the way at once. So, I, you know, <laughs> I just like put them aside for a couple of days. And then I was like, I, I just, I can't, I can't do it. Like I'll, I'll watch that. So I'm going to watch, I think the Thunder are playing the Sixers tonight if Embiid plays that game. So I get to at least watch one team that's trying to win and be a, a real basketball team in, in the game. Um, it, it's ugly. Should I keep going? Yeah, real quick. So is is that a is that a goal of yours? Like, do you have a certain threshold that you want to hit of watching each team x amount of times? How like how does that? How do you kind of break down that process? And then I want you to keep going. So my religion is um, two games a night, start to finish, start to garbage time, two games a night. On a lot of nights, I'll get a third game or a fourth quarter of a third game or something if I have time, I'll squeeze it in. Uh, but two games a night is my religion. Um, I get very stressed out if for some reason I can only do one or one and a half because of travel or whatever. I like, I feel like I'm letting myself down. Um, and I, I don't have any science to it, but I try to watch every team about the same amount of times you end up watching the good teams a little bit more because you have to watch the games when they play each other, like Nets bucks, you got to watch, you know, Lakers nuggets or whatever you got to watch. Uh, but I try to watch every team equally. So yeah, I, I tried to eat my vegetables that night and I couldn't, um, I was high on the Warriors going into the season. They look good. Denver without Murray is even better than I thought they would be. Again, these are early overreactions, right? So I'm just being a little crazy. Um, that that's I, we can get into players if you want, but those are those are those are some of the initial ones I have. I think uh, Denver is a sleeper finals team. How about Chicago, Zach? Three and zero. I'm seeing a lot of Chicago hype on my timeline, but I would remind Chicago Bulls fans that they have beaten Detroit twice and New Orleans. So I think maybe we pump the brakes on the undefeated three and zero start. So I tell this story every year, 
or every year for the last seven years. And this is, let me be clear, this is not to make any comparison between the Chicago Bulls, who I think are going to be good, and the team that I'm about to talk about. I think the Bulls are going to be a good team. I had them somewhere from like six to eight, maybe five to eight in the East. Okay, so I think they're going to be good. Maybe they're going to be better than I think. I thought they had a higher ceiling than most people did, The most of the skeptics anyway did. I think they're going to be fine. I remember the first year of the process 76ers, the trying to lose 76ers. They started 3-0. and And in the entire, like, the, and there was a weekend in there somewhere because the season usually starts Tuesday or Wednesday. So that weekend, they, like, win Friday and Sunday. And they're 3-0. and And I was working at Grantland at the time. And we had this whole furious email chain of, like, we need an explainer. Are the Sixers going to be better than we think? What's going on here? Break it down for us. Why is this team blowing away expectations? They're 3-0. and Are they a playoff team? Like, we got to get into it. It's the biggest topic in the NBA. And the most boring thing to say to that is, can we just settle down? It's been three games. Can we j- And of course they were horrible and they made themselves even more horrible via trade. Like they were the team that we all thought they would be, which is to say the Bulls beat the Pistons twice. The Pistons don't even have Cade Cunningham. The Pistons offense is terrible. Uh, and New Orleans, like I said, without Zion is in DEFCON one. They're already 0-3. So I, nothing about my opinion of the Bulls has changed. I think they're a good solid mid-tier playoff team and that's it. Is, is there a particular take, whether it be about a player or a team, that when you look back on, you just realize like, wow, I was just dead wrong. Like I thought I had it all figured out with this guy or this team, and they just absolutely proved me wrong. Is there something that I, sticks out in recent I, memory? I thought you were going to go the other direction, Dunk. Like one that you really pass himself on the back for. It's like I nailed it. Well, that's, that's the I, next I'm not question. Wired, I'm not wired to pat myself on the back. I'm much more <laughs> wired to beat myself up. I'm a, I'm a generally unhappy person. So you're you're hitting the sweet spot now of regret Love rather it. than credit. Perfect. Um, I'm just off the top of my head. I'm wrong about the Pacers every single year. And Indiana fans let me hear about it all the time. Like I'm always way low on the Pacers and they always find a way to exceed my expectations. That's just like a general annual, like I'm just wrong about the Pacers all the time. Uh, Oh, okay. My stupidest all time take, like stupidest, stupidest, like worst take should have seen it coming a mile away. Part of my soul actually knew better and I still went with it anyway, is I picked the Al Horford, Joel Embiid Sixers to make the finals before the season. I was like super high. We talked to, I remember we even talked about it. I was super high on that team. I knew the fit was clunky. I talked myself into their defense. I talked myself into like, they're going to beat the crap out of everybody in the playoffs. They can post up anybody. Josh Richardson's going to be an amazing fit. I was all in on that team. And as you well know, it did not go well, and they completely imploded and got <laughs> destroyed in the playoffs by Boston in the bubble. And uh, now they're – someone already wrote a book about the process era Sixers, and I've, it's already time for another book. I just don't – like, what is in the water there? It's insane. So that's that's my all-time worst take, probably. You mentioned uh, hearing from Pacers fans. I'm curious, is there a particular fan base that is surprisingly – active or or maybe uh somewhat i don't want to say rude but but just like overbearing when it when it comes to like calling you out on on takes or this or that sort of thing i don't check 
anymore. I can't. I don't have the bandwidth for it. I don't check anymore. I, I think I, I check occasionally, but I tried very hard not to, I should say. I, I would say fan bases like evolve with their teams, right? Like the Warriors have become Warriors Twitter has become like a weirdly angsty place as they've gone from like they were they were like happy for any success. And then they had so much success that now they're like overcritical of Steve Kerr over like did they uh, they've they got all warped it's generally like the small market teams who no matter how much you write about their team like like if if you divide teams into th- like 30ths of coverage i my coverage of the utah jazz has definitely been greater than 1/30th of my output like i've covered the jazz a lot i have a soft spot for the and and utah fans are still like all you guys talk about is the Lakers. You don't talk about the Utah Jazz at all. Talk about Rudy Gobert. I'm like, I talk about Rudy Gobert like every day. I talk, I've like way too much. I talk about Rudy Gobert. They're never, they always think the big bad media is conspiring against them. I want to, uh, I know you don't like patting yourself on the back, but I want to uh, point out a, a time that I noticed you were early on something, which is calling Duncan Robinson a serial screener about two and a half months into his NBA career. So this is January, 2020, I believe, which means Duncan had only played a couple months of, of NBA basketball. And you wrote in your, you know, I think it was five or 10 things that you like, you know, your, your weekly piece and gave him a little shout out for all the different actions that Miami runs. Um, and that has certainly, if anything, just increased over the next, you know, two years of, of his career. What was it that you saw right away to call him a serial screener? Well, first of all, the term serial screener, I think I stole from Doris Burke, who used it to describe Stephanie Dolson when she was playing at UConn. It might have been Rebecca Lobo. I can't remember who I stole it from. Uh, and I love Stephanie Dolson, WNBA champion now with the Chicago Sky, Stephanie Dolson. Um and so I stole the term, but now Steph Steph Curry has has given everybody's has, has everyone's radar up for shooters who set picks. Like he like it was always a very powerful tool. Um, Kyle Korver did it a lot. JJ Redick did it a lot. But Steph, as an on ball superstar, also doing that all the time opened up everybody's eyes to like, oh my god, when one of the best shooters in the league sets a pick, it's like dropping a grenade into the defense. They don't even know what to do. Everyone runs around in random directions and panic, and like everyone's open all of a sudden. And Duncan is obviously one of the greatest shooters in the league and does that a lot. And it helps his teammates in ways that I think should be highlighted because it's a selfless act. Even if some of the screens result in Duncan being open too, it's it's it it helps the offense flow. This is uh, an extremely loaded question, so uh, I apologize in advance for that. We've seen the game kind of transition stylistically. Now there's you know the three point generation, uh, you know, changing from when it was kind of like bully post up ball. Where do you see the kind of next step of of, of it? taking and maybe that's offensively defensively whatever it is like a particular kind of piece um you know like kind of like what's the next trend you see kind of developing we saw everybody starting to switch everything all the time uh the pace you know everything kind of like ever changing is there something that when you're watching these games that sticks out to you of like okay this is something that some team is doing that i think other teams are going to start to do more and more I just think it's going to be an acceleration of everything that's already happening, right? The pace is going to keep going up. The number of threes is going to keep going up. Um, to me, interesting things are 
it's, it all depends on personnel, right? Like you guys play a certain way in Miami, you have like three or four different kind of tent poles of your offense and you play and you play a certain way. Cause bam has certain skills. You have certain skills and you have to play to your personnel. But I think more, there's going to be more teams trying to go five out, try to find ways to have five shooters on the floor at the same time and, and ways that those lineups can still penetrate the defense and not just sort of stall out along the perimeter. So I think what the Clippers did in the playoffs was pretty interesting when they just stopped playing centers you know, what's, what's the adjustment to that. Um, and I, you know, I think it's, it's hard to replicate because of what Curry is and how unique he is. But I look at the Warriors, like, I think one of the reasons the Warriors are, are off to a good start is they play a style that is different from everybody else because they have a player who is different from everybody else. And I do think there's value in just being different. I think you guys benefit from that, honestly, because there just aren't a lot of teams, like your two man game with Bam, is a very rare thing in the NBA. And then then you have different parts of your offense that are happening at the same time as that. I think there's value in being different. And I think coaches are sometimes tempted to just do what everyone else is doing. Like the analytics say this, we have to play this way, even if our personnel is not super well suited to it. Like you've seen a lot of really terrible teams try to shoot lots of threes and run fat and play fast. And it it turns out they're horrible because they just don't have the players to do that. Like, I, I think, looking even more closely at like what's special about our players that can help us construct something differently than other teams are doing. I think that's even more important as the league gets a little bit more homogeneous, maybe to be a little different is, is valuable. Yeah, I, I absolutely see that. Um, I, I've kind of noticed how there are trends, obviously like bigger um trends from like the 10,000 foot view that have kind of like taken shape across the league, but still night in and night out, you have to win in different ways against different teams. And, and that's a lot of, you know, the times because teams are made up in different ways. We've and if your, best play, if your best player is Giannis, you're going to play a different way than if your best player is Steph. Like I've, oh, I've never been one of the people who's worried about more threes equals everybody playing the same way to some degree that, that on some nights that does seem true. But if you watch the right games, if it's not true, just because you so much of what you do stems from who your best player is. And the best players are also different from each other. Yeah. And it's also how, how you get your threes, right? I mean, Giannis, it's a lot of, you know, drive, bully ball sprays, swing, swing three. Uh, Whereas Steph, obviously you see the creativity that they get to, to try to get their threes. We talked a little bit about teams. So now I'm going to throw you in that, that front office role. Uh, We are we're, we're the long shot podcast. We're all about kind of like underdogs. Uh, maybe the, the guys out there that aren't getting the respect that you feel uh, they deserve. If you were in a front office, give me a guy that you would really love to have on your roster. And I don't really want like a perennial all-star. I, I don't want like somebody that everybody would say. Like, of course, everybody would love to have Steph, Giannis, Jimmy Butler, you know, like that sort of thing. I want kind of like a, a diamond in the rough that you'd be like, wow, this guy would be a just an incredible piece to have. I'm going to have to think about this. You're springing this on me <laughs> out of nowhere. Uh, I'm trying to think about it. And I want to go true under the radar. Like, I don't want to go like not really, really under the radar. Yeah, um, like someone would say, like Drew Holiday. Like Drew Holiday is no, incredible, we, but it's like we he all can't, know who Drew Holiday is. Yeah, he can't be the most underrated player in the league every year. At some point, he becomes <laughs> adequately he's rated. rated. He's if, rated. If everybody he's made saying, an All Star yeah, team. He's incredible. I mean, Drew's incredible. But yeah, I, I want somebody like truly like diamond in the rough. 
Well, Devin Vassell is not really a diamond in the rough, but casual fans probably don't know much about him. I'm super high on him for San Antonio. I'm just looking at the standings and like whatever comes to my mind, I'm saying. Uh, Jaden McDaniels in Minnesota is super interesting to me. DeAnthony Melton, um, I would be trying to get DeAnthony Melton on his contract all the time. I'd be calling Memphis like every day trying to get DeAnthony Melton. Um, let me keep going. DeAnthony Melton has gotten some love on this podcast before. I, I He's think just I, good. He's a yeah. good – and I'll tell you, I was watching their game against the Clippers last night. He made two pull-up threes in that game, and I was like, I wonder how many pull-up threes DeAnthony Melton made last season because I don't really remember this being like a big part of his game. He made 21 last season. He's already made four this season. If he starts like making jump shots off the dribble – Defensively, he was he, he was guarding Paul George. I mean, Paul George had forty one. He did so he didn't like stop Paul George. He's just he's a good player. Uh, Bruce Brown got enough love last season that he's that he's uh, off this list. Javon Carter, that's a net that I'm interested in. Quietly shot like thirty eight percent from three last year on a lot of attempts. Uh, nobody on the Cavs. That's a diamond in the row. I'm just going right down the standings. Give me one more. I need one more. All right, just give me a give me a second here to think about it. Aaron Neesmith, does he count? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm intrigued by Aaron Neesmith this season. Uh, I can keep going. I mean, I I I got nothing but diamonds. Here's one: <laughs> Zeke Naji. Zeke Naji doesn't even play anymore for the Nuggets. I'm I'm he has a skill set that I'm interested in. I would like to see some more Zeke Naji time. That's enough for now. I can I can go all day with these these guys who will probably never actually make it, but I I they have some that's all you're looking for, particularly out of young players, is like, okay, he could he can do that well. Like that's a thing that he does with a very high NBA level. I can work with that and and it maybe or maybe that fits my team in a way that's that's really important that we really need that skill whatever that is there are more but that's enough i could we could just sit here and listen to those all day zach i i appreciate that your basketball encyclopedic knowledge encyclopedia knowledge is appreciated it it reminds me we uh last year we did our long shot awards at the end of the year and i think we plan to do those again uh to culminate each season and uh, it was, this is where Duncan gave D'Anthony Melton a shout out. He, it was your, get your flowers award, a guy who doesn't get his flowers, who deserves his flowers. We also had the, the thrift store find of the year. So a guy who was like a mid season pickup on a cheap contract, but ended up really helping a team win. I think Daniel Gafford was our selection there. Ooh, good one. Yeah. Yeah. We, there were some good ones. We tried to, we tried to go against the grain a little bit with leaning into that long shot underdog theme. I, I, I think you would appreciate our long shot awards. So Rashawn Holmes has already gotten his flowers, right? He doesn't count anymore. People know he got paid too. So he doesn't count. He was on my list like every single year. I was like, why do people not realize that Rashawn Holmes is good? Ja'Shawn Tate in Houston um, is is a guy to watch in this regard. Ja'Shawn Tate is is a solid player. Um, and and I think he's on like a minimum contract for another couple of years. Um, yeah, I like, I like the theme of the award. It's actually interesting when you say thrift store, so right, I would like to ask you guys, and particularly Duncan, from a player's perspective, you know, we use that terminology in the media. You just use it thrift store, like, oh, what a great bargain. What a great contract, right? That's what we say. What a great contract. What that really means is the player is not getting as much money as his skill set determines that he should get. So, yeah, right. great find by the front office. Like, great. The Thunder locked Lou Dort into this minimum contract for like four years. What a great contract. 
But should we use that language? I'm asking you guys sincerely. Like, is that is that almost anti-labor, that framing? Like, how do you feel as a player, Duncan, who was on a quote-unquote great contract for a couple of years, and now you're on a real contract? Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting topic. Um, you know, I, I always kind of go back to there's this weird split between people love talking about guys when they're underpaid and, oh, he has such great value. And then they also turn around and love talking about guys when they're overpaid, right? And, and that that becomes also like this narrative that, that people love to fill of, oh, I can't believe he's making this, this, or whatever. Internally, like what I've kind of always heard from older players, and this is something that we actually talked a little bit about with uh, Solomon Hill when we had him on, was that amongst players, there's kind of like this, this common brotherhood of like there's no such thing as an overpaid player if somebody's willing to pay you that much money to go out and do your job and, and they value value you to that extent then you can't possibly be overpaid because that's what somebody is you're, you're getting your market value and on top of that and this is there's the, there is this weird kind of mix between like there is this competitive side of oh I can't believe he's making this and and like there is that but at the end of the day I do think that there's a collective thought around like you know rising tide raises all boats of like if everybody if this guy gets paid then it's actually good for everybody in that way um, I hadn't necessarily thought about it from the kind of labor perspective but. You know somebody like a, a a Daniel Gafford. I I always and maybe this is kind of like a backwards way of thinking, but I always like kind of enjoyed being that like oh well I I have great value and that like my my day will come uh, sort of mentality. But I don't know if that is backwards. Maybe it is. Let me ask you another question from a media perspective. Have you ever heard of a player? Because I've heard of a couple. I've heard I haven't heard of players say this directly to me, but I've heard people who know players say this. It, and 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 it is like I need to make X. Like I have a round number in mind. Like I've heard I had one eight, one uh, several people say I won't name the player. He wants to be a twenty million dollar a year player. Like nineteen is not what he wants. He wants twenty, or he wants to be. I heard this about another player. He wants to be a hundred million dollar player. Like over four years or five years, whatever. Have you heard like that's kind of specific numbers used before by any players? It is. It is talked about, um, you know, it's it's really interesting because it's the only professional sports is like the only industry where your value can be directly equated to what you make. And it's also public for everybody all the time. So there's this constant feeling of like you can always compare and that is where it starts to get a little bit tricky. But like, for example, myself, you know. There, there's also the role that that media plays in this as well of the the Woj's, the Shams, not so much what what you're doing. You're more kind of like a, a journalist in that sense. But like, you know, guys start to get tagged as, oh, he's going to make 15. He's going to make 20 way prior to even going into free agency. Like I remember after we played the Celtics in Boston, I think it was pre-game or something like that Woj went on ESPN and said Duncan Robinson is going to earn close to 20 million dollars a year and I I wasn't even thinking that at that point and all of a sudden after the game I'm not even getting texts about like hey great win you know nice job I'm getting texts about did you see what Woj said did you see what Woj said and then all of a sudden like 
it's like anything with it that we've kind of talked about it as it pertains to media and being a, a performer at a high level is like you try to block that out, but it's unrealistic to do that. So I felt I felt myself going into free agency now feeling like okay, is there this expectation that I have to get this much amount of money? And really, when I talk to people who had kind of gone through it before, and I'm not just saying this because he kind of umbrellas our podcast, but JJ Redick was a, a great kind of mentor uh, for me in this sense because he kind of told me like, look, let go of any expectations that you have around free agency, that you need to have this, you need, it needs to be this many years, this much per year, this team, whatever it is. Like you don't know how it's going to unfold. So if you put these like, you know, preemptive uh, parameters on, on what this scenario has to be, you're really just setting yourself up for disappointment, frustration, uh, all sorts of like negative emotions. So I do think that there is this urge to want to try to do that, but I, at the end of the day, we really should be pushing towards like kind of breaking down these these public perceptions. That was a long-winded answer. I do think it's interesting. I, I mean, I don't know the answers to this, and it depends on the player, but I do think someone in DeAndre Ayton's position is is a really interesting human dynamic study of like, does he now – and so far he's played this season – pretty much the same way he played last season, like just screen, roll, do the dirty work, like kind of do that and get 15 and 10 and play good defense. Like, is that going to bother him all season? Is he thinking about the fact that they didn't give him an extension? Is that just, you know how certain things are like just in the humming in the background of your brain almost yeah. all the time. Is that humming in the background of his brain all the time? Does he feel pressure to get, have more 20 point games this year? That's just, it's a, just a real human dynamic that all of us can relate to on some level. Yeah, well, the other side of that too, which I think is really interesting, is that, and I'm I'm not like kind of poo-pooing millions of dollars, but like, it's really not about the money at that point. And and I'm probably I probably surface level he would say that it it is about the money, but when you really look at it, and I don't know what he was offered versus the max that was on the table, but the difference of like what his life would be you know, looking down the line, I'm sure he's able to look at that and be like, okay, there really isn't a difference of like how I can live or if my family would be significantly better off. It is interesting how it's more so at that point about this kind of perception of I'm a max player. And, and I, and I don't think he's wrong for, for thinking he's a max player and wanting to, to be paid the max, especially after the year that they had last year. But I do think it's interesting of like, there is this, this kind of line between it is about the money, but it's also really about this kind of perception of like, I want to be valued as one of the best big men in this league. Yeah. He wants to be a max guy. I mean, there's been many people, David Falk, MJ, who is MJ's agent and Ewing's agent, one of the most famous agents ever kind of lamented the existence of the max contract because in his view, he was the sort of first person to make this argument. He was like, well, the best player on every team now thinks he deserves a max contract. And really because of the way salaries are capped in the NBA, there are not 30 players who are quote unquote max players, but every, every team has one and it ends up being, you know, skewed, skewed in that sense. It's, it's, it is interesting. And I look, I, I was thinking more even like all, a lot of us, some of, some people are really comfortable with uncertainty and risk and some people love security and just knowing certain things don't have to hum in the background of their brain anymore. Right. Like, like we all know the feeling of signing a contract or getting a job and being like, whew, I don't have to worry about that for like three years or four years. Right. And so like DeAndre Ayton doesn't, doesn't get to experience that 
right now. He has to worry about it to some degree for, and I mean, look, he's going to get a lot of money no matter what. Right. But like he, he doesn't, it's not done. And so everyone reacts to that differently. Does it make it, do you guys think it makes it easier to navigate these things when you are a championship contender? Clearly you've got a coach that seems to be universally well-liked. You've got a guy like Chris Paul in the locker room. Does it make it easier to navigate that situation? You know, I, I assume that it would, or does it ultimately just come down to, yeah, this guy wants to be a max player and they, it, we're going to reach a crossroad at some point. I mean, I, I don't know if it, it, it makes it easier. I mean, I think that it's, it's such, it's already tricky in nature. Um, you know, with, with the case of the Suns, like, yeah, it's simple. All right, we'll just go win a championship and then you get your max, but it's, it's not nearly as easy as, as just doing that. Uh, and you also have the, these interesting dynamics of, you know, campaign, maybe taking a, a team friendlier deal or Mikael Bridges obviously got paid a lot of money, but in some eyes think that that was a team friendlier deal. Uh, even Chris Paul restructuring his deal, but it's like, it's also different when, when you're DeAndre Aiden and, and you know, you want to kind of really, this is your first crack at a, at a big contract. Um, so there's, it's a team sport, but at the end of the day, people are playing it because of the, the financial implications that it can have on your family and the rest of your life. So I don't know if it ever makes it easier or simpler. I mean, I think all of these are like complex issues. Now, with that being said, to bring it full circle, it's also sports and it's also basketball. So it's like, there is some perspective that needs to be had over there. Well, and, and it's the also millions and millions of dollars like Deandre Ayton, whether it's now in this extension or next summer is going to be fine. But to your point about wanting to be a max player, the rookie extension thing is the only time really in the NBA when guys are on the exact same timetable with an entire class of other guys. So he gets to look at Luca and Trey yes. and Shea Gilders Alexander and be like, well, I remember I was drafted with all those dudes. I were on the same, like eventually all your contracts will end at separate times and have separate, but like for that moment, it's just natural to compare yourself to like a very discreet group of guys who are negotiating contracts at the exact same time. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, well, if you want any more Zach Lowe NBA insight, you're going to either have to tune into his podcast or check out <laughs> NBA Today. Uh, we hope you got a, a little bit of a fair share here. Or you can read my writing. People still read. Yeah, Believe it you or know not, what? people still Sorry read. About that. Sorry about that. Yeah, I guess I, guess <laughs> I want to encourage are... literacy. People still read. It's actually like if you look at the numbers, more people read. Now, they may not read the whole thing, but more people read than you think. It's refreshing. I love that. Sorry, I, I shouldn't have discredited. Uh, honestly, the the medium in which you're most talented, in my opinion, uh, and that's not you know taking a shot at any of your other mediums, just more so. I, I enjoy your writing. Anyways, that's uh, good because it it hurts my brain a lot. Writing is really really hard, and when I finish a column, I feel like I need to like go to sleep for twelve hours. Writing really hurts my brain. Talking, this is fun. Like this is easy. Yeah, that's that's actually interesting. So. Like, so you, you just still do it because like you, you hate, but also enjoy that process. Like there's, well, kind of there's like nothing worse. there. The most satisfying thing is a right. good, is a good column. Like I have a column coming out this week about a player, um, that if I hit it, 
it's going to be really good. Now, hitting it will involve like my office will turn into the beautiful mind thing where I have sticky notes everywhere of like quotes and details and how do I order them? And I might, then I'll get stressed out. How I've done it wrong. It's I'll use I, that. Is that the exact right word? There's probably a better word. What is the freaking word? It's on the tip of my tongue. 12 minutes later, I'll get it. But those 12 minutes were agonized. It's just agony, but the end product should be very good and, 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 very fulfilling. The process is just agony. It's just agony. I would love to be a, a fly on the wall in that. You process. would not trust me. My family <laughs> would would dissuade you from that real fast. Uh, anyway, Zach, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, certainly a, a joy to have you. No, 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 hold on. Don't let me go yet. Okay, that's very nice to say. It's very nice to hear. I want to congratulate you on the well deserved contract that you signed, and more than that on carving out a legitimate starting role for years now on a team that's really, really good, that made the finals, that has ambitions of making the finals this year. And everybody is like, oh, what a feel-good story. Division three, lightly recruited. Like, it is it is a feel-good story, but it's also like, you're just good. You're just a good NBA player now. Like we, we, all that stuff is still part of your journey, and it matters. And we can, people can still look at you as the plucky up and comer if they want. But it's also time to look at you as just like a, a good NBA player. And so I want to congratulate you on that. I know how much work it is. Congratulations. I appreciate that. It's a, uh, it's been a fun process. Absolutely. I actually remember I, I was talking uh, after we met for the first time in the Barclays. My, my agent called me, Jason Glushon, and he was like, I can't believe you called Zach Lowe Mr. Lowe when you first, <laughs> when you first saw him. Uh, and, and that's right. I called you Mr. Lowe because I was a fan of your writing. But uh, it, it's, it's interesting. We, we've come a long way since then. So Mr. I love Lowe. being reminded of, of how old I am. Last week on NBA <laughs> Today, we were talking about the top 75 list and whether Carmelo should be on it at all. And Shanae Agumake was trying to make a point about how for people of her generation – Carmelo was sort of an idol growing up. And it was me, Cheney, Malika, and Perk. And Cheney said live on television, you know, for members of like a younger generation, like me and you, Malika, explicitly <laughs> excluding the other two people on the panel. I was like, look, I know I'm 44 and you're 29. Like, I don't need to have it rubbed in my face on live <laughs> television. That's when you calling me Mr. Lowe was like, oh. I've reached that stage. Where <laughs> that was players more of are a, gonna throw that at me. That was more of a respect, right? Uh, yeah, I was, I was gonna less say about the age discrepancy, more about a respect. All right, I'll take it. Well, congratulations yeah. anyway. Thank you, I appreciate it, uh, and congratulations to you for being a, a guest on the Long Shot Podcast. I know big, it's a big <laughs> feather in the it's cap. A legitimate honor. It was fun. <laughs> Thanks for having me. All right. Well, we're looking forward to having you back on at some point later on. Anytime. Day.